Maybe you want to write a book, launch your tarot business, or even fall in love. You'll learn neuroscience techniques and sacred rituals from mental health professional Bryn Bamber. That's me. Everything you need to take that next step towards your purpose. I am so excited to have Maggie Reyes on the podcast today. She is the creator of the Marriage MBA, and she is an expert on romantic relationships. And so we're going to talk about all the things, the things that are great and the things that are hard and all of the things. But to start, Maggie, do you want to introduce yourself and... Sure. Uh, yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm always up for a juicy conversation about relationships. So my name is Maggie Reyes. I am a life coach and marriage mentor. I help type A women have better marriages. So that's a really sort of specific group of people that has a specific, you know, common, lots of commonalities in the people that I help. But as you mentioned, I am also, you called me a relationship expert. I would call myself a relationship nerd. So I love... <laughs> all the things. I love the workshops and the books and all the things. So I do bring a lot of that to the work that I do. And I just combine um, in my own work concepts that I've created, concepts I've learned from my teachers and mentors. And I know we both do sort of cognitive work and I do both cognitive work and somatic work. And so I love integration. Like integration is the big theme of my life and it's the big theme of my work. So I'm excited to talk about all the different aspects of relationships that come up with your clients and the questions that you get on a regular basis and just sort of talk through them together. Yeah. So I love the title of your program, the Marriage MBA. So I want to kind of start there. Like, what does that mean to dive deep? Like, how do you get an MBA in marriage? Okay, so this is kind of a fun story. So the Marriage MBA, it actually stands for something. It's the Marriage mindset breakthrough activator and when I thought about a name I really wanted it to be like this place where you could activate breakthroughs and learn how to create breakthroughs for yourself over and over again in the program and outside the program so that was kind of like one of my thoughts about it the other thought I have about it when I started thinking oh the marriage MBA it's like an MBA but it's for your marriage like that is also true it's like when you get an MBA it's not that you have the perfect business dropped in your lap and now you're done it's that you know what are the pitfalls what are the issues what are the things you need to do to have a great thriving business whether it's profit and loss statements or whether it's human resources or whether it's supply chain like when you get an MBA you now know all of these things that you need to address and think about for your business to thrive and I really think the way that I think about the marriage MBA is I want to provide like this buffet of tools where whatever happens in your relationship, you know you can handle it. That's really my sort of mm. intention behind it. And for kind of a fun story about it, my husband has an MBA and we talk a lot about what he's learned in his business work and what I've learned in my life coaching work. And I actually did a podcast episode called Marriage MBA, which was what inspired the name of the program. So. Uh-huh. It was out of this podcast. So on that podcast, what we talked about was things like opportunity cost or the sunk cost fallacy or uh, one of my things from HR, which is keeping the main thing, the main thing is the main thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. So we talked about these different things that we learned, you know, in my HR background and in his MBA and how we apply it to life situations. So even the way that the program was inspired was really from that mindset of once we understand what is opportunity cost, when you say yes to this, I'm giving up that. Right. Mm. We understand that concept. And now when when we're presented with a choice, we can apply that concept to the choice we're presented with. That's the same mindset and the different things that I teach in the program. Yeah. So can you give us a relationship example of opportunity cost? Absolutely. It's like when I want to be right Ah. versus when I want to create connection, what's the opportunity cost? that I pay when I want to be right, when I prioritize that over creating connection with the other person, I'm paying a price for that. Am I willing to pay that price? Right. And then it's like, well, what if we're both right? What if I have a point and they have a point? What if that's also true? Right. So that would be one example. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's wind here. I don't know if you can hear my like door creaking. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. You're good. Okay, so when, you know, I have, as I said, before we hit record, I have clients in different places. I have clients who want a relationship or, or multiple relationships. I have some clients that are poly. Love it. I have some clients that are in a relationship and having struggles. And I have other clients who are at the ending part. But why don't we start by... What happens when you hit bumps in the road? What are some things that people can do when they've been in a relationship for a while and they're maybe at this point where, quote unquote, growing apart or whatever that means? Like, what are some tools and strategies that can help at that stage? So, okay, if you're growing apart, the first thing is the awareness, right? Oh, we're growing apart and I want to do something about it. What do I want to do, right? Coming back to what do I want over and over again. And this is for the, those who are dating and for everybody, right? This is, okay. a, this is a fundamental thing that I know we as coaches talk about in coaching all the time. And we're constantly, well, okay, well, what do you want? And why do you want it? And do you love that reason? Does that make sense? Is it aligned with your values? Is it aligned with who you want to be in the world? So the first place I would start is, well, what do you want? If you want to create more connection, you go down one path, right? Mm. If you're like, we've grown apart and I don't want to work on it, we might go down a completely different So path. can you do both those paths? Because I feel like yeah. I have clients at both those. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to create connection, first of all, the Marriage Life Coach podcast, right. go listen to every episode, start with episode one. And you will get like master classes every week on all the different things to do. But one of the most simple things is when we distill down what makes relationships thrive, the core of every healthy, thriving relationship is friendship. Mm-hmm. So no matter what's going on, you want to build the friendship. Like that's a place to turn your attention to. I like to call it sexy besties. You want to <laughs> cultivate a physical connection with your emotional connection, your intellectual connection, all the other types of connection that you create in friendship. So it's like, oh, where are we now in our friendship? What's going on with the friendship? Like outside of everything else, if we were just the unit of us two, do we spend time together? Do we enjoy that time? Why or why not? What would be enjoyable? What might be fun? 
And one of the things that I think people get really tripped up on is they think they have to solve every problem in the relationship and then have fun. They have to, they have to clear everything that has happened for the last 10 years and then they can be okay. As opposed to, you know what? We have some stuff to work on, but we're taking the night off and we're going to go watch a movie or we're going to play Scrabble or we're going to do this thing that we loved doing when we were dating. Like that idea that we have to like have everything solved and then move on often keeps people very stuck. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the supplies in some ways to friendships too. I mean, it's, yeah. it's different. But. Yeah, I think with friendships, what happens is you might grow apart and it feels less intense if you're not with that person every day. Right. Right. But it is the same idea, like in friendships and in any relationship, really, whether it's a family member or mm. someone that you wanted to stay in relationship with. One of the um, researchers I love quoting is the Gottman Institute. So they do a lot of research on what makes relationships thrive and what happens when people struggle. And one of the things that they have found just in looking at thousands of couples over decades is there's something that happens called the drift. So if you imagine the ocean, if you and I were in an ocean right now, our natural inclination would be to drift along wherever the ocean was going. So if we think about the circumstances of our lives, the day-to-day things that are happening in any relationship, so whoever's listening, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a family member, whether it's a coworker, someone that you just want to be in relationship with, the natural tendency is this drift. And what happens is the way we compensate or course correct for that natural tendency is to turn towards each other. I invite you to lunch. You invite me to a movie. We go shopping together. We have a conversation. We turn towards each other over and over again. And in that natural drifting, we're now going closer and closer and closer and closer. And this is on audio, so you don't see, but I'm doing all these hand symbols. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So just imagine me spreading my hands out and then putting my hands closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, and that is, does apply to any relationship that we want to cultivate. It's like, are we turning towards each other? How often do we want that to happen more often? What is the quality of that turning towards? Are we spending the time together that we want to be spending? That kind of thing. And when a relationship romantic or otherwise is going well basically the same type of tools when it's going well you're turning towards each other on a regular basis like you're always that turning towards is either you're doing it intentionally in a very focused way like if you're working with a life coach or you're in a coaching program or something that you're doing things because you've gotten out of the habit of turning towards Mm -hmm. but if a relationship is thriving you're still turning towards you just it may be so so ingrained as part of your normal that you're not noticing right all that prioritizing that you're doing like oh yeah thursday we're going to the movie oh saturday we're visiting the cousin oh we're doing this we are doing it we're just not noticing sometimes the intention that's behind it but that is what it is it's just naturally happening yeah okay and what about the other side of the coin where you're like we are drifting apart and maybe we don't maybe we're okay with drifting apart or yeah maybe- so tell me like I love talking about this so what's the question that would help you the most with that I guess when there is an ending there is a yeah. decision a yeah. want of an ending yeah and when there are kids involved and, uh, you know, circumstances yeah. that it's not yeah. 
we want to end and it's easy to yeah. just end. Mm-hmm. What are some things that can help in that ending process or transition process? Because it's not a full ending. Yeah. Here's what I would say just in general, which is a good place to think about your approach is am I making this decision from my most wounded self? Mm. Am I making this decision as a knee-jerk reaction to something that has happened? Or am I making this decision from grounded, centered love for myself and for the other person or the people involved, if there's kids or other factors involved? Mm -hmm. That's a place to take your brain. So I always think about, especially, you know, what I do is I help people strengthen their marriages and some people end up staying in their marriages and some people end up leaving their marriages. The way I like to think about it is cultivating the friendship is always useful, even if the relationship is going to change, especially if the relationship is going to change, especially if you're co-parenting, you want to be able to the extent that it's possible to co-parent in the most harmonious way that you can. Now, some people, you know, that won't be available to everybody. Some people are in different situations or some people are not open to that. But if that is the situation and you can cultivate any degree of friendship, it is absolutely like the best thing you could possibly do, even in an ending. Mm -hmm. And you want to check like, where is that decision from? So when people come to me, sometimes they have relationship ambivalence. They're not sure if they want to stay or go. They haven't quite made the decision yet. And my philosophy is let's find out the best relationship you have with this human. Mm-hmm. And then let's see if you want that. Mm-hmm. Like, let's mm-hmm. get it to that place first. If there's anything on your side of the table to clean up. Let's clean it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we know that you're making decisions from grounded, centered love, from a place where you feel clarity and power, not from a place where you're overwhelmed with a reactional emotion. Mm-hmm. And then from that place, the quality of your decision making is always going to be higher. And then you can make whatever choice that you want to make. Yeah. And one thing that I think is true, and I imagine that you are into, <laughs> is that like a relationship can be a place for us to grow for each other. So how can relationship be a tool for personal development? I think everything in our lives is a tool for personal development. It's how we decide to show up for the day, right, is a tool for personal development. Whatever our work is, whatever we've dedicated our lives to. And in relationship, it's like, who do I want to be in the face of this? Who do I want to be when it's easy? Who do I want to be when it's hard? Right. Mm -hmm. And so fundamentally for me like baked into the experience of life is everything is for our growth right what does a tree do it grows if we look to nature nature is just always a great resource for us to to see ourselves reflected in nature right everything in nature has an element of growth in it right so we are part of nature and also have an element of growth in ourselves right yeah 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 I love that and I guess what that that kind of brings me to my next question which is so you work with one person yes you you don't work with couples yeah so maybe you can talk about you know if someone is listening and saying 
but I need my partner to change or I need this to happen with my partner. Why do you work with only one? Okay. We'll start with that. Okay. And then, and then how would you address that if you had a client that came and said, it's all, it's all them. It's all you. It's all, first of all, almost everyone comes to me and says that at some point, (laughs) that's just like a given. If they would change, everything would be better. Come on now. (laughs) Okay. So a couple of things. I believe in the emotional liberation of humans who identify as women. And I practice that liberation through the lens of marriage. Mm -hmm. At the most fundamental level, like the reason that I work with women, humans who identify as women, Mm -hmm. is because we used to be property. Right. We, it's like two cows and me, right? Yeah. That's how it used to be. So it's like, we're taking this institution, quote unquote institution of marriage, which is my specialty, and we're owning it. We're taking right. it back. It's ours right. now, right? Right. So that's just my philosophical sort of behind the scenes thoughts about it. It's, yeah. like, it's like, one of my thoughts is we can be and succeed greatly when we become the emotional leaders of our relationships. Yeah. And very often in relationships that are struggling, very often someone is waiting for somebody else to take the leadership mantle. And all that waiting doesn't actually lead to any change happening. It just leads to more waiting. So that's sort of my philosophical side of things. If somebody says, yes, but why should it be me? Right. A couple of things. This is sort of informal. So the gotten is thousands of couples. Me, like my case studies of the people that I've helped. So it's very unscientific, right? There's a science and the unscientific. But what I've seen happen over and over again is the reason it's you is because you're the one who wants something different. If I ask your partner right now, so everyone listening, think about this. If I ask your partner right now, your partner is likely to say, they are lucky you even looked at them twice. They are so happy you're there. They don't want to mess anything up. They may hesitate to do some things and it's, you might think it's because they don't care. And my hypothesis is they don't want to mess anything up more than it's already messed up right now. Mm -hmm, I've mm -hmm, seen this happen quite a lot. It's not everybody's case, but it's a very common thing. So once we can see that, oh, I'm the one who wants something different, then we can decide, well, am I willing to do some emotional heavy lifting together? It's like, am I willing to go to the gym because I want to build that muscle? Mm -hmm. Some people are and some people aren't. Either way is fine, Mm -hmm. right? And so then what happens is the next layer of that, because again, I get this like every day, <laughs> is, you know, I get, why should I do all the work? It's a question that right. I get. Yeah. Why should, why, should, why should I do all the work? My hypothesis is you're not doing all the work. My hypothesis is you go first. Right. This is a hypothesis that I'm testing now with all my clients, and it, it seems to be bearing fruit, mm-hmm. but I'm still testing it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, systems theory and psychology is very simple. When one element of a system changes, the other elements in the system react to that change. Yeah. And all of my work is really based on that theory. It's like, oh, you're going to react differently. You're going to engage differently. And then the person you're in relationship with is going to react to your reaction. Mm-hmm. And their reaction will also be different because mm-hmm. of how you're showing up. Mm-hmm. You go first, right? And then they react. But then they keep reacting. They're still in relationship with you. So they end up doing different things at different times, right? Sometimes in the most serendipitous ways. And here, I'll give you a concrete example. So 
but just keep that in mind, right? Once one element of the system changes, the other elements in the system respond to that change. So it's not that you do all the work, it's that you do the work first. Mm-hmm. And then we see some people, their partners absolutely, you know, meet them, turn towards them, engage with them. And some partners don't. And either way, that's data we want to have. Right. Okay. I know what happens. So here's the concrete example. So one of the concepts that I teach is do-overs. It's very simple. There's never a bad time to course correct. We're in the yeah. middle of something, something's going on, and I say to you, you know what, Bryn, that doesn't reflect who I want to be. Can I have a do-over? Can I mm-hmm. welcome you home again? Here's a hug, right? Or we're doing something, and maybe I'm distracted on my phone, and it's really important to you. You had a really big day, and I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let me put my phone down. Can we can we start over? Let's do another take. Take two. Mm-hmm. Ren, tell me about your day. So I teach this idea of do-overs. And one of my clients had been working with me for months and is practicing the do-overs and was doing them <laughs> with her husband. And one day her husband walks to the door and didn't really greet her warmly. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, you know, I just realized I didn't really greet you when I walked the door. Can we do that redo thing you do? Can we, <laughs> can we do that? And that's what I mean by very, he, he's seeing her doing it and Model. doing it and doing it yeah. and doing it. And then he's like, oh, that redo thing. I think I want one of those. Can I have a, now, she might know the theory behind it, the Gottman research. She might, I might have given her a book to read for homework. Like she might have done all this other stuff, right? But he's engaging in the activity. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, no, I love that. I love those answers. So since you work specifically with people who identify as women, that like put more questions in my brain because I, I don't specifically work uh, with women, but I currently only work with people who identify as women. Okay. Sure. <laughs> That's who's drawn yeah. for the most part. Uh, to me. So when it comes to things like emotional labor and money issues, I feel like there are all these elements of the patriarchy that kind of play out in relationship mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have some clients who are giving and giving and giving and it's very hard for them to Mm -hmm. rest or it's Mm -hmm. very hard for them to say hey I want to I want to do this thing and it's not for the kids and it's Mm -hmm. not for my partner it's for me I want to do this that's incredibly difficult what feminist theory do you bring into your work with clients how do you work with a client who's maybe falling into one of these patterns So what we want to just see is the ocean that we swim in is a patriarchal culture. And we want to know that some of the reasons we're making those choices are because of the cultural narratives that we've received throughout our lives. So it's like, oh, I am working and I have to work and I have to spend all these hours doing this thing. Why? Because our culture values productivity over almost everything else. Right. Right. So we want to be present to sometimes it feels like we're swimming opposite to the stream, like we're swimming Mm -hmm. upstream. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. we want to know that when it feels that way, it's not your imagination. Right. You're in the midst of a cultural narrative that gives you all of these messages of what should, could, how it should be. 
And one of the things that was fascinating to me in my own, you know, personal development journey is a couple of years ago when George Floyd was murdered, mm-hmm. I read this document by dismantlingracism.org, some sociologists, I think, got put together this research on the characteristics of white supremacy culture. And everything on that list was what I coach on every day. Wow. So there was perfectionism. It's one of them. There's only one right way. Everything else is the wrong way, right? Which Mm -hmm. is the perfectionism. And this idea that, oh, this is what it should look like. And if it looks like anything else, it's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the mental drama that we create because we all are different and unique and have our own approaches to things. And we try to fit our round pegs into square holes and all of those things so it's like we want to what I do the most is just acknowledge that this is the ocean that we're swimming in and bring awareness to these ideas are internalized Mm -hmm. from these cultural narratives and we just want to know that I think it helps you cultivate Mm self-compassion when you know that this is not just something that is micro to you right all of us are swimming in that same ocean and have many of those same issues And so I did an episode called self-trust where I really quote that document specifically and I have a link to that document. So if you want to check that out, I can send you the link to that episode. So you have that, but that's one of the things that I look at. And then in my most recent coaching work, I've developed something that I'm calling has kind of a long name. It's called the internalized patriarchy relationship inventory. (laughs) And I really looked at some of the core things that are the core themes that I'm coaching on all the time and tied those to some patriarchal mindsets. So I'm not going to go into the all detail because that's really Mm -hmm. something that requires unpacking. And I find it to actually be very emotional when people go through that process and go through that inventory. It is something that can become very tender. But the idea is to know that there's a cultural narrative that is also part of our experience and that we don't want to ignore in our personal growth and that we want to understand it's like we cannot dismantle what we cannot see if it's invisible mm-hmm. we can't knock it down yes yeah so true I would say that's my approach in broad strokes <laughs> yeah yeah no I think so I read how to be an anti-racist by Abram X. Kendi. And he says one of the most powerful tools of white supremacy is pretending it doesn't exist. This idea that it's in the past and we're, you know, the civil rights fixed everything. And yeah, now we're good. And, you know, slavery's been over for however long or whatever. And exactly what you're saying, like, if we don't acknowledge it, yeah, we can't work on it. And I think it is the same with the patriarchy. Like, yes, there is this narrative of like, well, you can have a job now and you can wear pants now and you yeah. can vote. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe if we let you in certain counties, maybe. Well, right, we'll see, right. Right. Yeah. So what are you complaining about? And just starting, I think a lot of the work I'm doing with myself and with my clients is just looking at like, oh, 90% of directors of the top grossing films are men. And oh, yeah. 80% yeah. of writers and yeah. startup funding to entrepreneurs. 85% of that goes to, you know, cis men. And yeah. that 
it's kind of like in 12 step how how you say like hi i'm so and so i'm an alcoholic yeah just to as the premise of like hi i'm Bryn. i live in a white supremacist patriarchy yeah exactly just calling it out and saying this is the ocean in which all of my beliefs were formed yeah just calling it out yeah yeah and where it is today is you know for the most part in most areas better than where it was when we were kids and our brains were developing and all of those things so just starting by acknowledging yeah where we're at and the impact and the perfectionism that comes with all of these these things that come with it I think is a huge tool and there are things that I remember an article came out a few months ago that basically switched the genders and put everything that women go through as if it was men it was like a twitter feed or something like that and it sounded so ridiculous but for us it's how we grew up so it's totally normal to us right and it's breaking that association like this is not quote unquote it's normal because it's what we have experienced but this is not healthy this is not what health looks like this is not what equality looks like right and just listening to you and just thinking about my own personal experience I had like a flashback I used to work in HR and I Bryn you know me so for those who don't know me listening (laughs) I'm a very enthusiastic person yeah it is my nature that is part of who I am but I also am like a relationship nerd and I also like know a lot of things right (laughs) so back when I was working in HR I was having a meeting and the CEO who was a man asked me a question and I I said, he never, he never totally took me very seriously. Hmm. I said, well, are you sure you, first I asked him, are you sure you want my answer? And he said, yeah. And then I like said, okay, well, if we go in this direction, you have to consider this, this, and this. And if we do this other thing, you have to consider that, that, and that. If you consider this third thing, you have to do this. But I think you should do this other thing that nobody's talking about, but is really the best way forward. Like I gave him like this whole analysis in like three minutes. And I was in the room with him and my boss. And he turns to my boss and says, she's really smart. Like, literally, can you imagine that happening to a man? I don't know. No. I don't, I can't imagine it. And then my boss, who's also a woman, said, that's why I hired her. <laughs> and I was just so amused by the whole thing. Like, I'm not offended or anything because I don't expect anything better, right? Like, right, right, That's right. that, And that's the thing where we want to normalize having these conversations and normalize saying, you know what? I should expect something better. I am really smart. <laughs> yeah right? My analysis is valuable. That's why you hired me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that enthusiasm doesn't. And enthusiasm does not uh, reduce the capacity of my intellect, right? Yeah. But as a woman, that for me, I was underestimated my whole career. I came a point where I just decided they can just underestimate. I'm not going to explain. I'm just going to show up and know my things and they can all just figure it out, right? I came to this place of peace with it. But to me, that's like the ocean that we swim in. Yeah. But I would say that when I was going through that, I didn't have words for it. Right. I can tell you that I had that experience and I would have isolated it to that one person who made a comment and that one situation and I would have thought that was just my experience now I feel that even I in my own personal growth have gone through a journey of understanding it is not unique 
to me. This is happening in thousands of meeting rooms and, you know, offices and places all over the world. And so coming together and sharing our stories and saying to each other, hey, does that sound right to you? That doesn't think that's right. right. Is I think it's part of building awareness so we can see it so then we could do something about it. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, what comes up for me when you say that is even just the Me Too movement and yeah. reading all these stories and then being like, oh, I have stories like that. Huh. <laughs> you know, being like, oh, that, I thought that was normal. I thought that it was normal to be catcalled at age 12. I thought that it was normal to have kind of weird experiences with male family friends. You know, I thought all of these things were just like, yeah, you're just nice, even when they're weird, even when they're creepy, even when they, you know, they want to hold your hand walking down the street and you don't really want to, but you just be nice and polite and quiet. And let's just call that toxic niceness. Yeah. That's just like, no, that is not nice. Yeah. But it was only reading all these other women's stories that I was like, oh, that. Yes. I could relate to that. That happened to me. Oh, that gut feeling that felt that sinking feeling was legitimate. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that in our society, I think it's important for us to talk about for anyone who's working on their own personal development is recalibrating our trust muscle. Right. In a society that tells you productivity is everything, then pushing right. through is the way forward. We ignore right. that when we're tired. No pain, no gain, right? We, right, right? we have that mentality and then we lose the ability to understand our body's signals. Our body is always sending us the signals. The signals don't actually stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just lose our ability to interpret them. It's like being in relationship with our own bodies and our own selves in a society that tells you ignore what the body is telling you and so if there's one thing we can just speak to today if you take one thing away from today is when your body is telling you this feels wrong you don't have to have a logical reason you don't have to you don't have to have anything you just have to say okay my body is saying this I don't know why but I'm just going to go with that yeah figure it out later (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even on that note, in my own journey, I remember anger wasn't really a, an emotion that was okay when I was a kid. It wasn't embraced in my For family. you and all women, right? right? Men have permission in general to feel anger anytime. It's the one emotion that they're like allowed, mm-hmm. quote unquote, allowed to feel in many, many cultural narratives. Mm-hmm. And for women, it's like they don't have permission. Right, ever. So we're giving you all permission, whoever's listening to this right now, permission to feel angry. Continue. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. That's the thing. We think in my childhood, I wasn't, no, 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 you and everyone. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember when I was starting to get in touch with my own anger and starting to feel angry and and being aware of it, I had cut it off to the point that I didn't, you know, my friends would say like, it seems like you're like frustrated or something and I'd be like I'm fine what are you no I'm fine (laughs) like I was so divorced from my anger but when I started to get in touch with it and started to feel it then I was like well it needs to be legitimate I need to have a 
like I feel it mm-hmm. but if there's not a logical explanation yeah. for it then I shouldn't feel it or I don't get to feel it or I shouldn't have it and so you know I remember working with therapist at one point and him saying like you're angry yeah like it's okay it's okay you don't need a logical yeah like righteous (laughs) story Mm -hmm. to go with it it's like yeah you can you can be I think I was angry at the bus driver for driving too slow or something you know and yeah and right. yeah, I'm not going to go like yell at the bus driver. And right. Yeah, one thing on is acknowledging, window. yeah, one thing is acknowledging our anger and another thing is how we decide to act on it. And those are actually yeah. two very separate things. Yeah. Our allowance of our own anger doesn't mean we go and act on it immediately. It just right. means we allow it to be present in our bodies without suppressing it, without avoiding it. We just allow it to be present. Yeah. And right? just- yeah, just to be angry. And yeah, you and, and then there is step two, which is, do, yeah. do, what do I want to do with this, if anything? Yes, what do I want to do with it? And a couple of things that came to mind is Eckhart Tolle has, I think it's A New Earth is the name of the book, where he talks about the pain body. Right. And his way of explaining it is, when you're disproportionately angry with the bus driver for driving too slow. Right. It's not a really about the bus driver. Right. It's about every time your agency has been taken away from you, every right. time something has gone slower than you had wanted or you had no power over going faster. Yeah. yeah. And so what happens, so if you imagine, if everyone, like, take a moment and imagine that you had, a, like, a wound in your arm and it wasn't fully healed and then somebody poked yeah. at it really hard. Right. That activation is, like, that bus driver is poking at this unhealed anger wound Mm -hmm. and so when it feels disproportional that's why it's like there is no logical reason because there's no logic it's just this wound is still open yeah and anything that pokes it you'll have this like eruption eruption that's really gonna hurt so that's just something I found very useful to know whenever I had disproportional responses it helped me slow down and see like well what's really going on here right Right. What's underneath. Yeah. What's underneath. Yeah. I think part of the revolutionary thing for me was like, if I'm angry, I get to feel angry. I don't have to explain it. And, and if you feel growth. Yes. By something that happens, you know, to trust that, that feeling to trust Yes, what's to trust what's coming. Yeah. And the thing with anger and really with any emotion, but Here's how I like to explain it because sometimes people are like, yeah, but if I feel it, will I become that all the time or will (laughs) it overtake me? Like there's fear around allowing the anger and to bring back the ocean. We have a lot of examples that are water related. (laughs) So if you imagine water flowing like a river, Mm -hmm. all emotions like a river, the water flows, they come and they go and they keep going. Happiness is the same. We're not like one note where we're just always happy. We have the ups and the downs and all the things. So emotions like water are healthy when they flow and deadly when they stagnate. Mm -hmm. 
So when emotion is flowing, it comes and it goes. You felt the anger. Ah, the bus driver. Ah, whatever. And now you're done and it has flowed and has gone through your body out and you're on to the next. If you hoard the anger. Right. If you don't allow the anger, then it stagnates in your body. And what happens with water when water stagnates is it becomes very dangerous and deadly. It has all kinds of bacteria and terrible things that could cause all kinds of bad situations, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which you don't have that problem when water is flowing. So Mm -hmm. it's just an interesting place to take your brain to say, oh, with any emotion, it's healthy when it flows. And it can be dangerous and deadly when I block it. So if I don't know how to let it flow and I feel very blocked, then I need to figure out how to unblock it. Then my job is forget about everything else. I just need to learn how to unblock whatever it is. Yeah, I love that. I love that example. And yeah, and it can be as simple as taking a breath and saying I'm angry right now. Yes, yes. Taking a breath is everything. (laughs) I once told the client, you know, you paid me thousands of dollars for me to tell you, breathe. (laughs) She's like, yes, and I would pay it again because, right? Yeah. We don't realize that moment of breath is when we can connect with our, like, wiser self, our prefrontal cortex, the ability to judge, right? Our sort of primal brain. When that's activated, the absolute best thing we can do is pause and breathe every time. The more we can get into the habit of just pausing and breathing, and it sounds so simple, but it's also very hard sometimes to implement. Yeah, and then bringing it back to relationship, it's almost like when you talk about the metaphor of the wound and someone poking the wound, that's who pokes our wounds a lot. Yeah, of course, the people who are closest to us. Our partners. Yeah, totally. And so... Before we wrap up, we have to talk about dating because I never get to talk about dating because I'm okay, a marriage Okay, tell coach. me everything. So dating, number one. <laughs> I used to be a recruiter and I used to work with job descriptions and competencies. Yeah. And I highly recommend if you're dating, think about the competencies, someone who would be a great partner. They're applying for the role of your partner. <laughs> What would make a person really successful? What knowledge, skills, and abilities would make them really successful in the role of your partner? It's a job they're applying for, right? Nobody ever thinks about it like that, so I like to have fun with that. But a lot of times we hire really great people into the role that is not suited for them. They're terrible at the role of your partner. doesn't make them a bad human. They're just bad at that job. Right. So really thinking about that is number one. Think about sexy besties. Can you imagine yourself really being besties with this person? And if you can't, and right at the beginning, you start to notice that, listen to the wisdom of your body. Right. Listen to it. I had a client when I used it back years ago and I used to do general life coaching. She was dating and there was a particular person that whenever she went out with him, she would break out into hives. (sighs) And I was like, listen, I am not a scientist. I am a life coach. Here's what I know. Your body is speaking to you very loudly. What do you think it's saying? (laughs) What might that message be? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yes, I love that. So it's like when we start to see 
that it might not be a good match, a lot of times we make excuses or we say no. We that myth, it's it's a myth, but it's also true. It's kind of a stereotype that has some truth in it. It's like we fall in love with people's potential. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Think about who they are right now today. Mm-hmm. And only who and are if who they are right now today is amazing to you, then you keep dating them. Yeah. And if not, the that's the place to not keep going. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to be best friends. Yeah. If you don't want to be besties and there's no, you know, unless you're asexual, most people have some kind of sexual connection, whatever that looks like for them. So you always also want to include that. You don't want to think, oh, that'll maybe, maybe later. Oh, The sexy and the besties need to go very in parallel together. They don't have to be exactly the same, but very in parallel together. And there's a book called If the Buddha Dated. What? It's a fabulous book. It's what I recommend to all my girlfriends when they're dating. Mm-hmm. It was the book that I was reading when I met my husband. Wow. So I consider it to be like the best good luck book ever. <laughs> but it's really like a spiritual approach to dating. So which is what I love about it. And it really goes deeper into some of those questions that are useful for you to like reflect upon when you're looking for a partner. So that's my recommendation. If you're dating, if the Buddha dated is a great book. Yeah. And having that idea of like, what are the competencies that my best partner would have is like a great place to take your brain. I remember I wrote a list at a certain point and and I, uh, I was like, I'm done with the dating apps. And I posted it on Facebook. Yeah. I was like, do you know this person? Yeah. Huh. And all my competencies. Yeah. And that that isn't ultimately met the person. Yeah. But I think that it helped to get yes. here and to ask for help. The willingness to just be so clear and so bold always helps you create whatever result you're working on creating. Yeah. I love that. So I I'm totally about the yeah. the competencies. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so we're just about out of time, but how um, I want you to talk about your book for folks who are in relationships and how people can connect to you. You already talked about the podcast, but maybe say it again. Sure. Okay, so you can find me at MaggieReyes.com. That's my main website. Anything that I'm doing, you'll always very, very easily find what's happening there. I wrote a book called The Questions for Couples Journal. And if you are in a relationship, it's a great resource to have conversations and to get closer. There's a mix of like lighthearted questions and deep questions. It's just a mix of everything, which is really fun. A couple of my friends who are dating, they fill it out as if they were in a couple and they use it as a visualization tool, which I think is so fun, which I think is amazing. So the questions for couples journal, you can get that um, on Amazon or in bookstores, wherever you buy books. And then the podcast is called The Marriage Life Coach Podcast. So if you are in a relationship and you just want to make it stronger, I teach many of the concepts that I teach in my programs, the basics of the elements of that in the podcast, and you'll definitely get a lot out of it. I love it. And I feel like I figured you out, like that you're like a top secret self-love coach or something. (laughs) masquerading as a I mean I know you have done a ton of research on relationships and that's definitely a part of what you do but it sounds like 
it's this opportunity to to come home to ourselves oh of course yeah the most yeah the most relation the most important relationship we have is the one with ourselves right and that always comes into play when we're struggling in a relationship with another usually when we're really hard or tough on people we're also really hard and tough on ourselves right when we're not having fun with our partners we're usually not having fun with ourselves like everything Mm -hmm. is a in, in many ways it's a mirror and so that's another reason why working with the individual is so powerful because once we sort of get into right relationship with ourselves, which is just into healthy communication and loving compassion with ourselves, it's much easier to then create that with another person. Yeah. Yeah. And once you're there, I think it probably also helps what you were saying before of, is this person willing to meet you in right relationship with yourself or is, or not? Yes, absolutely. I love it. Okay, thank you so much. So everyone listening, follow Maggie in all the places. You're on you're on Facebook and Instagram too. I don't think you Yeah, so on Instagram I'm the Maggie Reyes. You can find uh-huh. me there. There are other like Reyes is kind of like Smith for Latin people, yeah. so there are others, but I am the <laughs> <laughs> So good. Yeah. So good. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And listen to her podcast and get her book, all the things, because you can tell she's amazing. You listened all the way to the end. So obviously, <laughs> no, now. Thank you so much. Thank amazing. you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, everyone. If you resonated with this episode, I want to offer you a free private one hour consultation with me. Through doing the deep inner work, my clients have been able to do things like quit the job they hate and land a job they love, or get their first paying clients in their dream business, and if they're a little bit further down the road, double their revenue. They've been able to fall in love and go to bed each night feeling satisfied and accomplished. In the consultation, we'll talk about what your dream looks like, what's getting in the way, and whether working together can help. Email me at brin at brinbamber.com to book.